But we're starting in chapter 44 of Isaiah, um, beginning in, in verse 1. <clears throat> Everybody there? You found it? Yes, sir. All right. Um, but now, hear, O Jacob, my servant, Israel, whom I have chosen. Thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb, and will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. So we have here a, a prophecy of, of uh, the new covenant, really. And it, it is a hopeful prophecy. You remember the last few chapters of Isaiah are all about hope. What was the first half of the book of Isaiah all about? Judgment, yes, mostly judgment. But now we're into chapters about hope, and, and that's, you know, that's good. We enjoy that. But what are the three titles? This is the one thing I want to point out here. What are the three titles that God gives for his covenant people? The first one is Jacob. The second one is Israel. And the third one is Jeshurun, which means that's, he's, Jacob is only called that two times in the Bible, and it means the perfect one or the righteous one. Okay? Now, is it referring to Jacob as an individual or is it referring to the collective people of God covenantally and corporately? Yes, Yes, the second one of which Jacob is a part. He's a patriarch. And it's using Jacob uh, representing the people of God as a whole. And what name was he born with? He was born with the name Jacob. Then later he met God. He entered into a covenantal relationship with God at a particular point in his life at Peniel where he wrestled with God. You remember that particular story. And it was there that he was given his, his new name, which is Israel. But then the third name that he receives here is Jeshurun, the righteous one or the perfect one whom I have chosen. And I think this um, brings up a very interesting aspect of the Christian life. And that is that the Christian life is a path. It is a trajectory. Amen. You begin as a Jacob. Eventually you become an Israel. And then you become a Jeshurun. We begin as Jacob. We become Israel. We eventually become Jeshurun. It's a path. And, uh, <clears throat> and we call that path sanctification. That's really what, we're, what we call that particular path, sanctification. And everyone who turns to the Lord gets on this path. And everyone who is of the Lord you know, is traveling down this particular path. And is this path easy, this path of sanctification? Is it easy? No, absolutely not. It's not easy. Was it easy for Jacob? No. Um, God chose him before the foundation of the world, Paul tells us in the book of Romans. And he was born with the promises on him and over him. But he still had to live a life. He still had to wrestle with the Lord. He still had to go through all sorts of pain and be patient for all the promises to be fulfilled. And eventually at the end of his life, we see him blessing his sons and he's wise and he's a righteous, godly Christian. Right? So the order is this. First you get the promise. Then you get the pain. And you have to be patient and you have to persevere. And then comes the righteousness. Make sense? <clears throat> so if your life is destroyed by unrighteousness, what are some of the ways we can destroy our lives from unrighteousness? Unrepentance. Yeah. Unrepenting of what? What kind of sins? What kind of sins blow up people's lives and ruin their lives? And they come to, they come to the church and, and, and the church has promises for them. You don't have to have a terrible marriage. You can be happy. You don't have to be broke and a slave to Visa. 
You don't have to be living in doubt and in guilt and shame. There's victory. There's promises. Here's some promises in the Bible, and the church tells them, and they come to the church. But what are the various ways we blow up our lives? Well, it could be through uh, sexual sins, right? It could be through um, you know, addictions. It could be, it could be through uh, financial addictions and idolatry, right? Um, basically, any form of idolatry can blow up your life. And you come to the church, and you see all these people who are living happy lives, and they have a good community, and, and they love one another, and they, and they have kids running around all over the place. And you're like, oh, I want some of that. I want some of that. And, uh, but how, how quick does that come? It takes, a long, it takes some time, doesn't it? It takes some time because there's a, there's a process involved. I can, I can think of uh, my neighbor who's attending church, and you all all know him, and everyone here has been praying for him. But he, he has blown up his life in various ways. But I see him sitting in the back of the church. When I'm preaching, I see him sitting back there. And <clears throat> we don't talk about all my neighbors. It's just this particular neighbor. There was a, there was a very uh, specific story that happened. And, and so we, we talk about him occasionally. But we're all praying for him. Yes. And, um, and he comes to church, and I see him sitting back there with his wife and his kids. And boy, that makes me so excited. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I know... I know uh, uh, what, you know, the ways in which he's blown up his life. And I don't think he's a Christian just yet, but he's, he's attracted somehow. He told me once, he said, um, I don't know what these other neighbors uh, have against y'all. And I was like, oh, what do you mean? <laughs> he's like, I just don't get it. I, I, and I was like, oh, they don't like me? I was they always talking bad about y'all. And I, I don't know. I don't, we, our neighbors are really far down the road. Like, we don't really have a, a relationship. And so I was surprised to know that they hated me. And, uh, and he told me, he said, I think it's because they see y'all and y'all are happy. I think that's why they hate y'all. And, but he noticed that. He th- thinks we're happy. You know, we're not always happy, but he thinks we're happy. And that attracted him. And, and when, he, when his, fi- his life finally hit rock bottom, you know what the one thing he said or the one thing he did? He called me on the phone. He called me on the phone. And then it, his life, you, I thought it was at rock bottom. It actually got worse, as you well know. Um, and he told his wife, he said, we have got to go to church. We have got to go to church. And she's like, where? And he's like, no, to Brandon's church, to that church. We have got to go to that church. Now, I don't know the future for him. But when I, I'm trying to, you know, we're all trying to catch him as he, as he runs out the door. Like, hey, man, come you know, hang out. We're trying to bring him into the body of Christ. You know what I mean? So he can get those means of grace. But he's walking back to his car, and I'm, and I'm, I'm, ta- I'm like following him like a stalker. And, uh, <laughs> and he's like, uh, and, and, and I said, how's, how's it going? How's it going? He's like, man, I, you know, the bills, the bills are just coming and coming and coming. And I'm working, I'm working, I'm working. And uh, he's, over, he's overwhelmed by, by debt. And, uh, and he's trying to work, and he's trying to work, and he's trying to work. I was like, hey, but hey, don't, don't uh, today's the Lord's day. It's a day of rest. Got to trust the Lord, and uh, and, and you got to be patient. He's like, well, those bill collectors aren't patient, right? I was like, I know, I know. But see, what he's wrestling with is what can get me out of this jam. What is the solution? And he thinks the solution is his work, right? He's still struggling with that. He's still got an idol in his in his left hand that he's made, and it doesn't have the ability to get him out of that hole. You see what I'm saying? And I'm what I'm trying to communicate to him is no. Um, Lord's Day worship, that's the thing you have to do first. Get, get the foundation right. 
Get into the body of Christ. Get into the, with the people of God. Get in a right relationship with God, right? That's first. That's the foundation. You don't build a house by starting with the roof, right? He's trying to work on the roof because the rain's coming in. It's like, no, you've got to lay, got to lay the right foundation first. See what I mean? First, Jacob, then Isaac, then Jeshurun. And you can't put Jeshurun up in the, up in the front, Right? It has to be, that's at the very end of the, of, the, of the life. A lot of people think that, that I have to get righteous, then I can be fixed. You see what I mean? If I just work a little bit harder, I just clean myself up. No, no, no. You need, to get, you need to get in a relationship with God, the right relationship with God. Then he works righteousness in your life. You can't get those things out of order. Make sense? Now, a lot of, a lot of people in the church don't think that righteousness is important. Right? They don't think that practical obedience to God's everyday laws is that, that important. I mean, you can listen to megachurch sermons. Um, they're not about obeying the laws of Jesus. I'm not sure they'd even say the word law. It's, you know, not very fashionable. It's about, what is it about? It's all about emotion. Yes, because there's a lot of Gnosticism in the megachurch movement. It's all about spiritual emotions and feelings and invisible things. But it's, a, it's about relationship. It's not a religion. It's a relationship. It's, a, it's, all, it's all Peniel. It's all, it's all there having a, a moment with God and, and God giving you promises and you believing those promises. Yes, but why does he save you? In order that you might serve him in righteousness in order that you might become like him, in order that you might become righteous. Righteousness is the, is the goal, right? Not uh, just forgiveness. You see what I mean? Listen to uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. Y'all are familiar with this verse? We're not predestined to be forgiven, period. Right? We're predestined to be conformed into the image of the Son. But the, the conforming to the image of the Son, of course, happens after we are justified and we're in a right relationship with God and we are forgiven. But the, the goal is to be righteous and obey the law and, and to serve Jesus. Make sense? <clears throat> um, the purpose of this Bible study and the fellowship that we have as a church, what is the, the purpose of it? That we might be righteous, that we might be holy, that we might be saints. We're called saints already, but that's not because we're perfectly saintly. It's because we have the seed of saintliness in us. We have the last name of God, and we're, you know, but we still have a lot, to, a lot of growing up to do. Right? But that's the goal of all of this stuff. The purpose of your salvation and forgiveness was communion with Jesus. Yes, but also that you might serve him in righteousness in all of your life. <clears throat> Make sense? <clears throat> and when did this path of transformation begin? Look at our verse. I am the, thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb and will help you. Right? We don't know the, the future of my neighbor, but if he, if he gets in a right relationship with Jesus and is uh, born again and begins to live a righteous life, I promise you that process started in the womb. That process started before the foundations of this world, way before he was ever able to earn it. And, and, and him meeting me and me meeting him and him meeting all of you guys because he's a contractor. He's worked for some of y'all. None of that was a coincidence. It was all a part of God's uh, plan. Amen. All right, let's move on to verse three. 
here is the New Testament promise, the, the, the promise. Verse 3, For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. They shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. All right, so help me out here. What's the picture? What's the metaphor? You got a desert. Right? We don't know what that is like, but maybe some of us do. But you have a desert. Did you know that if it rained in the desert like a lot, that it would turn into a forest? Did you all know that? It's weird to think, but that's exactly what would happen. And a lot of deserts used to be forests. But the picture is, the metaphor is of a desert getting a deluge. Is that how you say that? A deluge. A deluge. A monsoon season from the Lord. And all of a sudden, all these, all these trees are popping up everywhere. Wow. Okay, cool. Um, and what are the trees? They're the offspring of faithful Christians. They're the offspring of Christians. Right? So God, what is God promising here? He's promising blessings on our descendants. He's promising that there will be fruitful fruit, Christians popping up in your lineage all over the place. That's one of the promises, right? That's very important. Look at the promise very clearly. Um, I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. They, your descendants, shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. It's interesting. You know, Mark Twain has no descendants. I heard that today. There is no one from Mark Twain. He was a very evil man. I don't know if y'all know much about him. Very smart man, but he was maybe even demon-possessed. Look up, if, when you get time, Google his last book. Um, it was held in secret until um, the 60s when his, the final heir... Um, died, and then they finally released. It's basically a letter from Satan to his, his demon hordes. Um, very strange. But Mark Twain was not, not a good man. Um, <clears throat> if any, and I, I mean, I teach Mark Twain's literature, so I'm quite familiar with it. And, uh, and he has no promises. He was not a faithful person. But did you know he was raised in a Presbyterian church? Did you know he was raised in a Christian family? Wow, that's... He apostatized, and what happened to him? No, no offspring sprouting up. You know, Ernest Hemingway, have you all heard of him before? Um, like, they have four out of five of his generations committed suicide. And his, his uh, grandfather, um, I thought it was either his grandfather or his great-grandfather, was like best friends with D.L. Moody, the famous evangelist and revivalist. And yet apostasy, falling away from the Lord, and no more lineage. Is that what you want your lineage to be? I, I want this one right here. I would like the future to be of, I, not a desert. I want it to be a Neely's and whatever other maiden names or whatever names they get sprouting up all over this world, bearing fruit for King Jesus. Isn't that what you want? And, but that's a promise right here. He says, I'm going to pour out my spirit on your offspring. Do y'all believe that's a promise for us? Yes. Yes. Listen, um, listen to what it looks like when the Spirit visits a family. Joel chapter 2, verse 28. Joel 2, 28. If you want to look it up. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. So he's just echoing the promise from Isaiah. A promise of a pouring out of the Holy Spirit. He's going to pour it out on all flesh. 
Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. What's that mean? That's another way of saying I'm going to pour it out on your sons and daughters. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants, I'm going to pour it out on all of your household. Even if they're, even if they're slaves in your household, I'm, they're going to get the Holy Spirit too. I'm going to be pouring out so much Holy Spirit that everybody associated with you is going to get it. In those days, I will pour out my Spirit. And what days is Joel referring to? Pentecost. Yeah, Acts chapter 2, Peter stands up at Pentecost and they say, these men are not drunk as you suppose, but rather this is what was foretold by the prophet Joel. Acts 2.16, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. The New Testament is the time that Isaiah is speaking about, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. The time that Joel is speaking out. The New Testament is the time when God finally opens up the windows of heavens and dumps massive amounts of water on this earth on offspring on the faithful church so that there can be growth and so that the deserts can um, sprout forth. You think of the Old Testament saints, you think of David, how, how does his kids do? Mm, not great. Don't marry 100, 200 wives. You'll be okay. But, you know, how, did, how did Eli's sons do? Not great. How did Solomon's sons do? Not great, right? There was, there was a lot of dead-end streets in the Old Testament. There's just a little bit of Holy Spirit. But he says, but a day is coming. Don't worry. I know that the nation of Israel is apostatizing. It doesn't look good. Here in Isaiah, that's what they're looking at. They're looking at apostasy. And he's saying, but Isaiah, tell the faithful people, don't worry. One day, I'm going to dump the Holy Spirit on this world. See, the New Testament is not the time when the promises stop becoming true for your children and for your descendants. The New Testament is when they start to come true for your children and for your descendants. Right? Once I was told this, and by the way, if you're new to this concept, it, is, it can be a little bit complicated. But once I was told by a, uh, a rather um, idiotic individual, who uh, he had a Ph.D. in theology, um, which, you know, you have to have a Ph.D. to be this stupid. Um, <laughs> right? <laughs> But he told me, he said, um, my children aren't any more elect than anybody else's children. I thought, oh my gosh, like what a terrible thing to say. Not to mention, it's completely and utterly unbiblical, right? The Bible, hundreds and hundreds of times, God looks at Christians and says, I will pour out my spirit on your children. I desire godly offspring. <laughs> Peter stands up. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the promise remains for you and for your children. That's why every single time someone in the New Testament is baptized, every time an adult is baptized in the New Testament that has children and has a household, the whole family is baptized too because the promise is for them and for their children. So the Philippian jailer, he repents. What, sh what shall I do to be saved? Repent and, and be and repent. And what was the phrase he said? Be baptized. No, nah, it, it wasn't that. It was uh, I can't exactly remember. And believe on the name on the Lord name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. And uh, he does that, and then he's baptized, and his whole family. And then at the end of the chapter, it says, "And they all rejoiced that he believed." Right? <laughs> like they all were baptized, and then it says, "And they all rejoiced that he believed." 
this is a covenantal worldview. It takes a long time to understand this paradigm. Um, but the main thing I'm trying to focus on here is that that guy that told me his kids aren't any more elect than anybody else's kids, absolutely wrong. And they're, they're, but that's why he sent his kids to government school. You understand? That's why he handed them over to the state. That's why he didn't, um, at least in that area, give them a Christian education as Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6 commands to give a Christian education in whatever. The Bible doesn't say precisely what method to use, but you have to give them a Christian education. You don't hand them over to the discipleship program of the devil. Right? Um, <clears throat> um, but pastor, um, I'm not certain about this kid. Right? I, have four <laughs> I have four kids. Um, some of you have seven, some of you have a lot, and some of you have some, some rambunctious kids, some difficult kids. Pastor, I hear you saying promises about my kids, and I can believe it for these right here. <laughs> for this one, I'm not certain about. Right? But let me ask you this. Are you certain about yourself? Right? Are you even certain about yourself? Sometimes I'm not certain about some of y'all. Right? <laughs> Say, I'm not sure about this kid. Who cares? Who cares? You're certain about the promises, aren't you? That's all you need to be certain about. You believe the promises. Believe the promises, right? Um, God may test your faith with some kids, for sure. But you keep spanking them in the name of King Jesus. And you keep instructing them in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. And you keep doing all your responsibilities as a parent, which we will go into great detail about this Sunday at Sunday school because we're going through a class on parenting. Right? You do your duty, you be faithful, and God will be faithful. His intentions are godly offspring. We know his intentions. You be faithful. Trust me, he'll be faithful. Now, if you're not faithful, I don't know what to tell you. Right? The Bible says this in a million different ways. Train up a child when he is young, and then when he is old, he will not depart. If you don't do the training, I don't know what to tell you. Maybe God will be merciful, but you do reap what you sow. God will not be mocked. You understand what I mean? But if you be faithful, God will be faithful. He wants, he wants godly offspring. Those are his intentions, right? Um, <clears throat> but God is sovereign, Pastor Brandon. Election, God is sovereign. The mind of God, the decrees of God, before the foundation of the world. Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. Ah, listen, God is sovereign. Your job is to believe the promises. That's your job, right? Your job is not to pry into the mind of God, into the eternal decrees of God, and try to figure out who's elect, who's not elect. Forget all of that stuff. Unless he comes to you in a vision and is like, you well, that kid, they're actually not elect. They're going to hell. Unless he says that to you, you believe the promises and you go with the last thing that he told you. If he does, test the <laughs> and if he does, if that does happen, that's a demon. <laughs> yeah, that's a demon. That's a demon. He told Hezekiah. He said, "Hezekiah, you're gonna you're gonna uh, die." You know what Hezekiah did? He was like, "Oh, God's sovereign." No, he got on his knees and he pleaded with the Lord, and the Lord said, "Okay, you won't die." Fifteen more years. That's right. So. <clears throat> Um, so pray for your children in faith. Amen. Right. Ask Jesus to, uh, if you're not sure if they're saved, uh, ask him to save them. Right. I, uh, I always believed in my kids that God loves my kids, even though I didn't have a covenantal worldview and I didn't quite understand all the theology of it all. And I didn't know all the promises in the, in the scriptures. I believe, thank God that 
uh, that God loved my children and, so, and, and that they were his and that I had a job to do as a Christian parent. Make sense? And that what, everything I was doing, I was doing in the name of Jesus for these kids that belonged to him already. I had that faith. That was a gift from God. Thank goodness. Even though I was intellectually a little schizophrenic and didn't know how all that worked out with various things, I still believe that. And, and I'm, I'm very thankful that, um, that when my kids came to me and said, Daddy, uh, we love Jesus, I didn't say, ah, you know, we'll see about that. Um, I said, well, of course you do. We're Christians. Right? <laughs> um, one pastor said, uh, I heard today, he said his dad used to always explain it like this. He said, uh, our whole family, we're on a conveyor belt to heaven. Right? What's that, uh, the little thing in the airport called? Is it a conveyor belt? A moving sidewalk. You, we're all on a moving sidewalk to heaven. Right? You can't go to the right or to the left. There's railings. And there's people behind you. And kids, we're going to heaven. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then one kid's like, I don't think I want to. I'm going to go this way. doesn't matter. We're going to heaven. <laughs> <laughs> now, I look, if you've never heard these things before, don't freak out, okay? Um, I'd love to explain them to you more and more. But just get the sense of what I'm trying to say. God gives you promises. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and your descendants. You take those promises to the Lord in prayer and you look him in the eyes and you say, you said, you said, you promised. Right? <clears throat> now, what happens if you pray without faith in the promises? It's sin and you're not going to get it. You want to know why kids apostatize? That's why kids apostatize. We'll talk about that in Sunday school. All right. Now, let's go to the probably the most difficult passage in the entire New Testament because it's just, you know, going to be fun for us. First um, Peter chapter three, verse 21. And I'm going to add something to this. And hopefully with all of my rambling and my working on how to say this to you, you'll get the point to some degree. This is not a polished sermon, though. OK, but first Peter chapter three, verse 21. All right. You all ready for this? Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Right? Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's a tough passage. Why is that a tough passage? Because it makes baptism sound salvific. It says baptism, if I take out the dependent clauses, y'all familiar with that? Baptism now saves you. <laughs> Wait a second. I thought we were saved by grace through faith. Wait, no questions yet. Let's just let's think about this. Just think about this. This is very, very complicated. All right. Um, now, then he clarifies. He's like, I'm not, he says, not the pouring of the water on you, not the removal of dirt, but not the removal of dirt. That's not what saves you. Not the water on you. That's not what saves you. What saves you? An appeal to God. That's what saves you. An appeal to God saves you. What's an appeal to God? Now, if you look up that word, it's a type of prayer. Like, if I made an appeal to you, what would be the appeal to you that I would make? What, like, please, say, set aside some money for the emergency fund. Do you like this school and this church? We need an emergency fund. That's an appeal. We need an emergency fund. All right, I'm making an appeal to you, okay? All right. Um, have you ever made an appeal to God? Like, what's some appeals to God that you've made? 
I'm tired of serving Visa, right? I'm a slave. Set me free. Set your people free, right? That's an appeal, right? Right? That's an appeal. I'd like an inheritance for my children's children. You know, a wise man has an inheritance for his children's children. Help me with that. Help me with that, right? And then, and, you know, you don't always like how he helps you. Um, you know, <laughs> boot camp's not always fun. But you make an appeal to him. You make an appeal. That's what an appeal is. And it says baptism saves you, not as water washing off dirt, but as an appeal to God. Right? Now, you got all of that right there? Let me, let, me, let me appear to change subjects just for a second. Um, the Bible says time and time again, whosoever shall call, say it with me, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Right? If you ask me, how can I, how can I be saved? Call upon the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. Is that true? Yes. So calling saves. That's what it says. Calling saves. You want to be saved? Call upon the name of the Lord. So if I call upon Him... I'm saved. Calling saves. Does calling save? But we say it like that, though, don't we? Right. We say it that way because it's a way of speaking. The calling we know from other Bible verses comes from what? Faith, which comes from what? Grace. Yeah, the grace of God. By grace, you are saved, not of calling. Well, which is it, Paul? Do we call upon him? You see what I'm saying? It's a way of speaking. It's, there's a way of speaking in the Bible where you use the outward expression as a, as really like as a replacement for faith, right? But faith calls, doesn't it? Faith prays. And if you have faith, you can say in a sense that faith saves. We know that faith doesn't save. Faith is the agent through which, or the means through which God saves you. What saves is God. God saves, right? And the Bible, of course, clearly teaches that a million times. Right. But our response is to believe and be saved. So belief saves. No, God saves. But the way through which he saves you is belief. And when you have belief, you also call and calling saves. And you know what else you do when you have faith? You baptize. You baptize. And baptism, among many things, is an appeal to God. It's an appeal to God to save you. Right. Um, not the water going on you as some kind of sacramental salvation, right? It's the faith that, that came out of you in, in baptism. That, that is, now, baptism is a lot of things. It's a sign. It's a seal from God. You know, it's a, a sign of the promises, a sign of the Holy Spirit being poured out on you. We've gone through all these classes. I had 30 lectures online for if you'd like to know about baptism. 30 lectures on it, right? And podcasts, fun podcasts too. Um, but it's also an appeal to God. Now, what does all this mean? Because we're talking about offspring. And I really, I'm, I'm just, this is what I'm trying to say. When you have a baby, okay, or a 13-year-old or whatever, and God says, I'm going to save your offspring, okay? You know what that makes me want to do? I want to claim that promise in prayer. But you know what else? Another way I'm going to claim that promise is baptism. I'm going to baptize that kid. See, because the Bible says that everyone in the church, if you're truly in the church, you're going to heaven. If you're in the church, you're going to heaven. If you're a part of the bride of Christ, you're going to heaven. And I'm like, God, God, look at that. Look at that. He's baptized. He's in. He's in. He's in. I'm going to heaven. He's going to heaven. The circle will not be unbroken. Amen. Bye and bye, Lord. Right? <laughs> I am not going to heaven without my kids. 
And you said, you said, I baptize them. Look at them. They're right there in church, Lord. They're right there in church. I'm being faithful. You be faithful. That's an appeal to God to be saved. That's an appeal to God. God, save them. Save them. Save those kids. Save them little babies. That's, that's what I'm trying to say. All right? <clears throat> um, we'll talk more about this in Sunday school. Um, but do you like the promise of the Spirit being poured out on your offspring? Do you like that promise? All right. Too bad it's done away with in the New Testament. Oh, well. Oh, well. You know, imagine what that would have been like when Peter told the crowds, for all of redemptive history, if you were born to someone in the covenant, you're in the covenant and you're saved. And Peter's like, but that's not true anymore. The Gentiles are in, your kids are out. (laughs) They would have lynched him right there on the spot. I mean, who wants to go to heaven without their kids? Now, let me ask you another question. Do you like the promise that the Spirit is poured out on your offspring? Yes. All right. Why, when he mentions the pouring out of the Spirit, does he first mention on your children? Why? Why that? Why does he say, I promise I'm going to pour out the Holy Spirit on all your neighbors in Acadiana? That's awesome. That's cool. That's great. But why does he mention your children first? Because that's the best one. That's the, the best one. That's the happiest one. That's the most gracious one. I mean, I want everybody in Acadiana to be saved, but I, what I really want is my kids to be saved. Right? Isn't it an echoing of that original promise to Abraham, though? Where yes. Genesis 17, 7. I will be God to you and to your children after you. And Abraham believed the promise. What promise? The one we just said. He believed that promise. And it was imputed to him as righteousness. He was saved. Um, Now, let's move on to verse 5. And I really like this verse, too. This one will say, so here's the Holy Spirit's been poured out on the offspring. And now we we got an offspring right here. We got a little kid. You know, maybe they're grown. Maybe they're not grown. Maybe it's John the Baptist in the womb. I don't know what age they are. This one will say, I'm the Lord's. That would be cool. Wouldn't you like your kids to say, I'm the Lord's. I'm his servant. I'm for him. And everybody in this town knows it. If they, if they think of my name and my family, we're the Lord's. We're the Lord's. We're weirdos. Yep, we're the weirdos over here. We're Christians, right? I am the Lord's. Another will call on the name of Jacob. And now commentators say that um, this could be translated, another will be called the name of Jacob. Um, not exactly sure. But I like that second one better um, because I think it's really cool that we name our kids biblical names. Now, don't get legalistic or weird. I have an Adeline. It's okay. She's going to heaven too. Um, <laughs> but it's cool because if, I'm a, if I got a kid and I'm praying to the Lord for that kid, I'm like, God, you know, you promised to save him. And he's really being a holy terror right now. And I, we want him to be righteous. We want him to be sanctified. And I named him Jacob, right? <laughs> He's one of us, God. He's one of us. I named him Malachi, you know. He is one of us. He's one of us. And I baptize him. And he's in church every Sunday. Lord, fulfill it. Be faithful to your promises. I just think that's a, it's a cool sign that you're saying, you know, these kids are God's kids. These kids are God's kids. And look, and another will write on his hand or write with his hand the Lord's and name himself. Oh, there it is right there. And name himself by the name of Israel. What, now, what is it when you write a, your name on a line and you get a new name? What, is the, what do we call that? When you have a sheet of paper, right? 
you're you're writing your name down and you get a new name and you're signing stuff and calling your name this and that and it's a public statement yeah it's a covenant it's a covenant that's right saying your kids are going to be in covenant and how do we sign the contract these days baptism all right let's move on uh we got a few more minutes verse nine i didn't think we'd get this far honestly so i kind of threw some other stuff in here any questions or any thoughts did the baptism saves thing stumble all of you now you're all going to go become roman catholics um I thought that was the plan. No, 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 no. <laughs> I actually have some stuff on that in, in the notes a little bit later. Any questions about that? Um, Jeremy, you were wanting to say something. Yeah, I mean, I, you're reading from 1 Peter. Peter's the same person who spoke in Acts chapter 2. Right. And the way I've always thought about that and appealed to, to, to the Lord for a, a clean conscience, I always look at that as almost the same as when he said in Acts 2.38 to be repent and be baptized. For the remission of your sins, but the remission of your sins goes with the repentance. Not yeah, the, he, he's. You look at the grammar, well, and even but even the remission of your sins is not because it's right. It's not for water you, you don't. It's even not repentance though. Like repentance doesn't save you. No, but, uh, but in that verse, the he he, he, he says basically the same thing. That's right. He's so saying basically the same. To me, is the appeal to conscience. Yeah, you want to be saved, repent. Pray and ask God to save you. Get baptized. That's what the Bible says. That's an appeal to God. Hey, I want to. I want to go to heaven too. Those that have ears to hear, they they heard. Right? Yeah, I think. Amen. I think so. All right, uh, Tori, did you want to? Are we? Is the the moment passed? All right. Um, all right. Well, we'll let's. We got a few more minutes. We got ten, nine minutes. All right. We we. Yeah. No. Eleven minutes. Verse nine. Have y'all found the spot? We're still in 44, 44 verse 9. Now, this is a little uh, mockery of idols. All right, here we go. I'm going to read 9 then skip to 13. All who fashion idols are nothing, and the things they delight in do not profit. Skip to verse 13, just for time's sake. He goes into a, a blacksmith making an idol, and it's pretty funny because he talks about how the blacksmith gets tired and has to like take a nap, go to sleep, wake up in the morning, keep working on his idol. uh, (laughs) it's funny it's a funny like uh, mocking of the uh, idols and the idol makers and God's basically saying like I don't have to take a nap right Um, (laughs) verse 13 the carpenter stretches a line he marks it out with a pencil he shapes it with planes and marks it with a compass he shapes it into the figure of a man with the beauty of a man to dwell in a house he cuts down cedars Or he chooses a cypress tree or an oak and lets it grow strong among the trees of the forest. He plants a cedar and the rain nourishes it. Then it becomes fuel for a man. Firewood. He takes a part of it and warms himself. Now you can picture this is a sermon, right? Or some sort of prophetic letter. And he's he's pouring it on. Like people are like, what's this strange anecdote about carpenters? What's, what's he going into here? And he's like, ah, and he takes a part of it and he warms himself by the fire. And everyone's like, yeah, sure, sure. He kindles a fire and he bakes bread over the wood. Also, he makes a god and worships it. Right? <laughs> he's making fun of it. He makes it an idol and falls down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire. Over the half, he eats meat and picks his teeth with it, right? He roasts it and is satisfied. Also, he warms himself and says, Aha, I am warm. I have seen the fire. And the rest of it, he makes into a god, his idol, and bows down to it and worships it. 
He prays to it and says, deliver me for you are my God. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy, right? So is it okay to attack evil using mockery? Please, yes, please. Thank God for Doug Wilson, right? He attacks evil. And people are always busting on him. You don't have to be that kind of person, right? You don't need to uh, bust on people who live across the country from you you've never met in your entire life, all right? If you want to attack somebody, attack evil people. There's plenty of them to go around, right? Uh, Leave Christians alone. But it's good to mock evil, especially idols, right? It is good to do that. Preachers should do that. We have enough boring preachers, right? We, and we certainly have enough nice preachers. We need more mean preachers with more passion and grit that make fun of idols. And, uh, right? I hope that you see that. I, I imagine you do see that or you wouldn't be at our church, I suppose. But boring preachers that are nice all the time need to quit. Um, <clears throat> we need meaner ones. Tell us that's right. Mean, of course, in all the right ways, right? <clears throat> um, um, and, and we don't need the, uh, the you know, the expositors right? who, who bring the word of God. Very dignified, suit and tie. We need, we need preachers that will make fun of idols and of idolatry. It is one of the tactics. It's one of the tools in the tool chest. And it's very, very effective. Right? It's very, very effective. Right? But you got to be careful because it can be dangerous. It's like a chainsaw. And you don't give a chainsaw to an infant. Right? Do what? Yes, and it will kill them. You, it's like uh, Calvinism. I, I love Calvinism is the gospel. Basically, it's truth. It's the Bible. Um, it's very clear, but I hate it when um, when twenty one year olds or thirty four year olds get a hold of election and they just start mowing down their family. Right? It's like a four year old in an Apache helicopter. Jacob, have I loved? Esau, have I hated? And Grandma, you know, Grandma is like. You're ruining Thanksgiving for Grandma. Like you got to take it easy. Like you need you need wit, you need wisdom, you need tact, you need timing, you need to to not play with chainsaws if you're a kid, all right? And that's the same thing with mockery. Not everybody can do it. Not everybody's ready. Ask your buddies if you're ready for it, okay? Ask your pastor, do what? Yeah. <laughs> Ask your, ask your pastor. Send him and say, I was thinking about putting this on Facebook, but I was going to let you have veto power. Someone sent me that this week. They're like, you got veto power. I wrote back veto. <laughs> <laughs> because you got to be careful. It's dangerous. You need to be mature. You need to be wise. Amen? Amen. All right. And, and, uh, and also, not everyone is called to be a preacher. Not everyone is called to engage in the mockery of the idols. All right? That's probably maybe a very small percentage of us is actual calling. That you need to be fixing diesel engines and raising your kid, right? And, and you see what I'm saying? You've got to stay in your lane. We all have to find our, our seat on the bus. 
and get the bus going in the right direction. We can't all be the guy on the megaphone, right? I'm not trying to like protect my my position or anything. I'm just I'm, I'm saying not everybody is is called to that. And sometimes you can tell when someone's not called to it because they're terrible at it. Um, <clears throat> but but uh, not everybody needs to do that. Also, you need to make sure that you are known not only as not as a professional hater. Right. People should know that you love all the right things and you hate all the evil things. You know, there's some people that I I call them discernment blog um, ministers um, where all they do is bust on stuff. You get uh, that gets out of hand and you start busting on good people and you can't you start. You're like my dog, Rowdy. Can't tell the difference between the UPS man and a burglar and just going and and you're just attack, 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 wit, sarcasm. And someone's like, hey, man, slow down. And and you're like, oh, here we go again. You know, you know, another nice Christian, winsome Christian. Right. No, we should be winsome. Right. We should be nice in the right times, in the right seasons. We need the people to know that we really do love the things that God loves and we hate the things that God hates. And we're not out of balance. Right. You can't be out of balance. And I'm sorry. Yeah. And happy, jolly warriors. That's right. And of course, if you're going to use mockery, um, you need to make sure that you're attacking evil. Actual evil, not, you know, not good things. Like, for example, a lot of Christians mock modesty, for example. There's a ton of, like, comedy gold there. But don't, I, I would encourage you, don't mock modesty, right? Mock immodesty. You see what I'm saying? Um, don't make fun of women who are trying to live modestly, right? Make fun of, of uh, uh Cleopatra's, Jezebel's, right? Not, uh, don't take on individuals, but you know, anyway. Um, Maka. I'm trying to think of, of another example that might be good. Um, see if I wrote any down. Yeah, don't mock uh, Christian movies, for example. You know, they, they didn't have a big budget. You know what I'm saying? And so, I, if, if you, a lot of people mock Christian movies. And the, the Christian movies are sometimes cheesy they didn't have a big budget but the worst thing in the world is people who are just like praising evil movies right filled with uh, all sorts of immod- uh, all sorts of like fornication and blasphemy and wickedness and they're like oh i just love the the camera angles you know i'm such a i'm such a film uh, what do they call it a, i'm a film aficionado and they're making fun of christian films no that's all you're backwards there Right? You understand what I mean? Don't if you're gonna use mockery, don't don't mock country preachers, right? Right? Mock Pharisees and wolves. Don't mock the faithful country preacher who's got an accent and he's you know, he's just doing the best that he can. So you just learn those are just a few tips on mockery is can be right, but we gotta make sure that we do it right. Make sense? And because if you do it wrong, you make all of us look bad. Right? <laughs> Not that that's the, you make God look bad. That's what I should say.